0: I had a very strange childhood. had the worst case any doctor had ever seen.
1: My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Hey guys, Casper Schultz here with this last podcast of 2020. It's been an interesting year, I guess is the word, but... I'd be remiss to say it was a quote-unquote bad year. I've talked to some amazing people in this first year of this podcast, and not a single one didn't mention that 2020 carried some sort of silver lining full of hope or opportunities. So before you close the door on a year many want to put in the rearview mirror, ask yourself, what has this year done for you? Did it get you out of your comfort zone? Did it make you more grateful for the little things? Make you see how precious life and health really are? Questions to ponder. And speaking of questions to ponder, here's one related to today's podcast. Why hasn't the medical community jumped on the use of ultraviolet light to help with diseases? We know UV light is an amazing disinfectant. UV sanitary wands sold out quickly during the pandemic, and hospitals employed UV disinfection robots to sanitize spaces. They're literally using robots with UV lights attached to them. On top of that, some of the cleanest water systems in the world use UV light as part of their purification process. So it would seem that the use of UV light within the body for infectious diseases could yield some really interesting results. Well, the truth is, UV light has been used in medicine since the early 1900s, and it did in fact yield great results. And today's guest is here to pick up where many doctors left off in improving the technology and impact of UV light in therapeutic setting with his device, the PL2020 from ASEPI Medical Solutions. This is the story of ultraviolet blood irradiation therapy with John Scardos. You're an outsider to the medical community and the medical world, which I find fascinating because I too, many people like to say, "Doctor Schultz," but I always say, "That's my father. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I understand medicine, <laughs> we, but I wasn't indoctrinated into medicine."
0: And I appreciate that from you as well. I did notice that that we're similar in that in that
1: sense. Absolutely. Yes, also, from European immigrants, you're from Greek immigrants. Of course, my parents from Poland. So there there yes. are those similarities as we get yes. started. But maybe that you, helps us. Absolutely. But maybe you could share with the audience a little bit of how you did find yourself. You were in computer science as business admin. I think you were at IBM or, you know, and then you found yourself going into medical devices, which is in many ways a very stale, you could say, type of uh, career. But you've made it exciting. And I want to go into that. But Tell us your story that led up into you starting your own company in medical devices and UBI.
0: Well, it's very interesting. I've got a very interesting past. My dad passed on when I was young, but he had developed a shopping center. We had retail stores, a liquor store, a bakery, and a and a restaurant. Uh, I was in the D.C. when he passed. I'm the only son. I have three sisters, and I ran it for seven years and tripled the business and found it very interesting. You know, rolling the sleeves up and getting it done. So we're hard workers. You coming from Poland? You know, we're we're the same. Uh, mm-hmm. We roll our sleeves up. Work eight feet days if we have to. So when we sold it, I told myself, well, one of my sisters knew I was very, I'm very good in math. She goes, uh, Johnny, you know, you need, she was taking computer science at the time. And I had already had my business management before my dad had passed. So I, I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And the first semester I was beating my head up against the wall. I didn't know how to turn a computer on or off. <laughs> so I got, I finally, when it clicked, Casper, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. Within the next couple of months, I became the assistant to the teacher. And for instance, COBOL, which was supposedly a hard program to learn, I could write it like the back of my hand. It was amazing. My progression through the computer science industry, my first job was for a uh, telecommunications uh, testing manufacturing firm. They were owned out of Canada. And within eight months, the guy that hired me worked for me. So I became the assistant manager. And I think what happened is that my business perspective and management applications went into my understanding of how to write programs the proper way. So, what I mean by that is, folks that they'll say you get out of high school and you go to college for computer science, you understand computer science, but you don't understand the marketing, the business perspective of that. And so, I had both of those specialties, which I think added value to having me program. So not only was I the director, but I was actually programming until three in the morning myself because I was very fast, very good, and very efficient. I ran the Washington Times for 10 years as their business director. It just comes natural, the fact that automation, uh, I look at something and it's natural to me to take a look at why are we doing it like this? Let's change this and this and this and make it more efficient. And we have safety features and we have ver—you know verifications. And so I consulted for Microsoft for a while. We did the first Chrysler, what we call Cloud, which was BPOS back then. And uh, it was very efficient. And looking at details, I think, is part of my expertise. Probably you're the same way. After the the Chrysler area, I I started getting, my health started declining a bit. I smoked for too long. Yeah, I'll admit it. uh, That was seven years ago. I've quit, but By smoking, it took a deterrent. My dad passed away at 60, by the way, so I was a little concerned there. So when I hit 60, my health started declining a bit. I said, you know, let me go to the doctors and get some analysis. And the analysis they were giving me, I didn't like. Number one, I don't think they personalized it to me. I think they were putting me in a category or group of COPD, let's do this. Arteriosclerosis, let's do this. So I started researching it myself and I'm a very quick learner, I flew around the country and started looking at alternative medicine, homeopathic medicine. I talked to, and am still friends with a lot of uh, homeopathic doctors, DOs, and they agreed with me that when I saw this ultraviolet blood irradiation, my curiosity is why wasn't this being used in the medical world? So I started researching that a bit, And that led me to it was uh, something that was inexpensive but very effective. It worked on me, it gave me my life back. And by doing that, I said, you know, instead of retiring, I'm going to invest my retirement funds into getting a device that the medical world will accept. We know what it does. Let's get something out there that we can help people. And I'm not all about the money, Casper, it's about efficacy. And getting that patient to get, get a better quality of life for people. And what I was seeing is all my friends are going to the doctors and they're coming back. If they get out of the hospital, I know three out of 10 don't come out of the hospital. They go in with pneumonia, and you know three days later, they're six feet under. And these are friends that I played tennis with a week before. My curiosity was, why are we continuing down this path of a rotten road when the road's going to fall out from you? And they're not getting any better. I don't think the FDA, and I I don't mean to say this negatively, but when I got into the medical world, I started seeing a little bit of political bureaucracy, a lot of uh, funding. And it, it wasn't to assist the patient getting better. It was more to the business side. And how can we make more money out of this? As a matter of fact, you probably know, Bayer bought one of the UBI devices for a couple million, I think it was, and they were charging 5000 a procedure. And finally, they said it just wasn't worth it for them. So they, they shelved it. And I heard that a lot from some of the other folks that did UBI devices. They just put their hands up and said, you know, we're tired of it. We're fighting the bureaucracy of the government. So I met with some strategists out of Chicago. and We put a plan together that said, this is how we're going to do it. Under the radar, we're going to create our own clinics we're going to put our PL 2020, our own device, into clinics that want to work with us, such as your, your clinic, which is very effective. And I saw that your clinic is involved in trying to help the patients. And that's what we want to do. We want to get somebody healthy and, and, and not come back. Uh, you know, there are some diseases that we do maintenance on, the Lyme, the fibromyalgia, the osteoarthritis, some of the rheumatoid arthritis we're having some good benefits on. I got rid of some of the patients' Alzheimer's. If if we can catch it in the beginning, we can actually cleanse out Alzheimer's disease. So this is a very effective product. And through the strategy that we've got, and I just patented uh, last year, I patented our PL 2020. And the reason that that's different is that I found that most of the devices out there, and some are coming from Germany, which are fairly effective. But if you look at the history of UV lights on plastic, that's not good. You know, they, t- they even tell you, some scientists have studied, the, if you leave the water bottle in the car and the sun hits it, don't drink that water because it could cause cancer. So we don't want to cause issues. We want to rectify the body and get that cleansed as much as we can. And so that's how we put the PL2020 in place. We have nothing touching the lights but the glass. That was the other patent that I've done. is a nice, clear, flat, sterilized, sterile crystal cuvette, uh, and we're very particular on the materials that that the light, because the penetration is one of the major things that we look at. The flow of the blood going through that, and the penetration of the combination of ultraviolet lights hitting that. And when you do it the right way, you can feel that first treatment. And then we have compounded that by saying, okay. So we don't want to overload the procedure. Uh, If we do that, then you have the Herxheimers come into place. So uh, there was a study in Germany where they did seven dogs, and they did it every day. So they found out by killing the dogs, what happened is they overloaded it too much. There was too much excretion that couldn't be handled, and that's what killed the dogs. So I I took a lot of the German studies, the Russian studies, the Japanese studies, and there were some American, but mostly American was anecdotal. And I'm being an engineer, I like looking at details. Uh, Show me the medical records, show me this and show me that. And that's why I flew around the country, because I actually data mined several different doctors' databases. You know, we signed an agreement allowing us to look at their medical data that we weren't going to use. It was all IPA compliant. And I took that data and databased it and started doing some manipulation of why did this work and why did it work on one person versus another person? And so that, that's when we got to our initial device. Is This is the one that's going to be a generic device used for, on, for everybody.
1: And I want to get to that device because it is just a really good understanding of what was wrong with the past devices and then how you can improve it. And I found this in medicine as a whole you have these approaches, these devices that have kind of stayed the same for a long time without any updates. And with the technology we have now and the understanding, you could do so much more to improve on them. Absolutely. But even before we get to those improvements, let's set the stage a little bit because UBI, or I say UVB, it's potato, potato, but ultraviolet blood irradiation therapy is not something new. It's not something even in the last 20, 30 years. You're talking about 1920s or so this started.
0: A century ago.
1: And it was quite popular, right? Yeah. And we talked a little bit before we started here about why that lost its popularity, but can you share that story of how it got started, why it was used so much, and then why it went in decline until maybe recently?
0: Absolutely. So, the history of uh, ultraviolet was interesting when I got into it. It was really interesting, the fact that they had this back at the turn of the century, the late 1800s, they were utilizing it. And how they did that was, it's an interesting story, is that the children that were in the hospital beds, if it was a nice day, they would roll the hospital beds out onto the patio, and the sun would hit them. Well, they they realized the sun was helping these people, these children, get... Uh, better, quicker than the ones that didn't go outside. So bing, they put two and two together and started utilizing light therapy back then. And I suppose it's the same, ultraviolet blood irradiation. And they were utilizing that spectrum of light that the sun gives out, the UVC light, which is the most germicidal. So you have a bacterial, which is the UVA, and then the, the germicidal, which is the UVC. So we've combined those two because... We don't know what you have, germs or bacteria, Um, diseases are all UVC, and then your impurities are the UVA. So we combine those lights at a particular spectrum that allows penetration so that the blood can, it sort of uh, activates the irradiation of the blood. And I consider it uh, similar to photo, you know, when a plant generates oxygen from the sun or, you know, from photosynthesis, right? It's photosynthesis. The sun hits the plant, the plant turns the chlorophyll, chlorophyll. And so it's very similar to that chemical reaction. When we activate the radiation of the light to the blood and return it back to the patient, what's happening is that it's activating the body's own self autoimmune system. And it, 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 at that point, we have done a study in Florida several years ago, and I wish I had the uh, photos to share with you, But it's very interesting, as the blood was going back into the body, it was almost like a 4th of July firework display. It was activating all these RNA and DNA to accept the oxygen through the blood. And in theory, blood is such as oil is to an engine. Our blood is to our own health. And if we can cleanse the blood, get it distributed to all of the organs, it's going to be very helpful. Even if you aren't sick, it makes you feel better.
1: Yeah, that's what they realized all, all the time back then in the 1910, 20, 30s. It was very important for tuberculosis and other types of infectious diseases that were you know, very common back then. And it wasn't until when, around the 40s or 50s and the advent of penicillin and also uh, vaccines came around that it got basically pushed away, right?
0: They shadowed it. You know, we don't want to stick anybody. Uh, we'll give them a shot and that's it. And they go home. The dilemma was the impurities and the vaccines. You know, I could tell you some stories about some vaccines that did not do justice to the American people or to the global people for that matter. So back in the 20s and 30s, they utilized this for a number of purposes. A lot was for acute thrombrosis. Uh, you've got polio. Uh, which was amazing to me. When I read that, I went, oh my gosh, why are they not using this? A number of them, gangrene, for instance. Uh, Gangrene is very popular setting in in hospitals back in the days when they didn't have the antibiotics. So the light would get rid of the gangrene. And so if you had gangrene, they gave you UVI or UV. Wound infections, skin uh, infections. They noticed that it was doing tremendously well with that. And we've noticed that as well. I had a patient come in that um, she was 380 pounds, not being comfortable with herself that, but she had eczema from the back of her ears to, the, to her ankles. And within four treatments, Casper, I got to be honest, she came in and was crying because she could now wear, it was barely pink where, where the scabs were. Now, the problem was this. So I looked at that. The doctors were giving her a shot every month. It was $1,000 a month for that shot. The dilemma is psoriasis and eczema is coming from impurities in your body, in the blood, and it's trying to push it through from the underside of the skin. Well, if you, they're working from the outside. You know, a lot of therapies now, the light therapies are working from the outside. That'll take care of the outside, but you still haven't got to the stem of the issue. And so what we've done is we've identified that by irradiating their blood, uh, we can excrete the impurities through your liver and kidney and it won't have to come out and excrete through your skin. And so you know, we're very good with skin conditions. We have closed diabetic legion where the gentlemen, there was two gentlemen that were going to get their foot amputated. And they did not want to do that. And they started researching. And lo and behold, they, thank God, we, they found us. And the guy had a three and a half inch on the bottom of his foot opening with an inch and a half deep. And we have photos and all, but, Within 12 procedures, it was closed up, and you couldn't even tell that it was there. Now, the country of Canada is interested, and I'm going to be going up there in July of this coming year. I've got contacts there. They want this for only for the diabetic legion folks, and they say it will save them $1.2 billion a year by not amputating and not providing prosthetics to the patients. In addition, look at the health viability of that will happen to these patients. That would have been less one leg or one arm or whatever the case may be. So, you know, that attracted me to the medical efficacy of what we've done. You know, let's help people. And if we can't, then I look at it as why not? Why did this not do to that patient what it did to another? So that's our future of a CEPI is that we're going to be looking and thank God we have clinics like yours, Casper, that's providing us the medical data we're databasing this, and we're going to look at blood types. We're going to look at where you live, your living environment. Do you live near power lines? Do you have mold in your house? Do you, what's your nutritional intake? Do you take different vitamins and minerals that could be affecting you inadvertently rather than helping you? So a lot of these things, you know, and I, I do understand there's a billion of things that we could put in the database, but if we can get to a general format of what blood type A or blood type B, or blood type AB. And we have to recalibrate the lights to give you maxim, maximum exposure for maximum results. And that's where we're heading with this. We know what we have, and we're starting this out the right way. We've, we've taken it to the modern world with, you know, we recalibrate those lights at 500 hours. We utilize our materials, which is we know will work. And so that was part of, if you go back in history, and I, I'm sorry to keep jumping, but if we go back in history, what I did is, I took all of the doctors and the scientists that studied the UVBI and said, this is what's working the best. So I took all of the best and consolidated into the PL 2020. The NOT device came out in the 40s. You know, that was one thing that kind of uh, raised my eyebrow. In the 50s, uh, they went into Seattle and just took all his machines, all his data, all his research and shelved it. Now, why would you do something when the guy is getting rid of polio, He's getting rid of you know, sepsis and MRSA and tremendous amount of underlying diseases that he was helping with.
1: I'll tell you why, John. It's called money. <laughs> it's called greed. <laughs> it's called sir. trillions of dollars, right? The tr- trillions and trillions <laughs> like, of now, dollars. come now? Trillions, yeah. we know. And, and, and that's the shame of it because when I learned about the history, and this goes beyond just UVBI and you look at so many natural healing that were really, really effective until money, greed, and other things got in the way. And of course, it was easier. Don't get me wrong. This is not suddenly you just take a pill and that's it. You feel better. Right. And there's there's no you know way to truly patent everything like this that is natural. You just can't do it. So there isn't as much money. Yeah. So I, I mean, I sort of understand. I just wish there was more education like you just shared man, this was really effective. Maybe we should bring it back because we're seeing some problems. If it worked, why change it? Exactly. Uh, you know, let's
0: take the best of the best. And going back to my automation experience, that, that helps a little bit too because I also noticed that a lot of the devices that were working, even the not device, it was a lot of maintenance to the device. In today's day and age, you know, you want people that just want to plug it in and go away and come back and unplug it and go home. The dilemma was the cleanup, the maintenance, the particular procedure that you were using. So I had to consolidate that into a modernized device that was still providing the same um, efficiencies of the procedure. So that was kind of hard to do, but it came about. And I think our next device, which will be the PL3000, that will be integrated into the uh, HIPAA compliant cloud. That hopefully, uh, if you travel around the world and as we expand our devices, I believe that that centralized repository will give any clinic that has the device the capabilities of looking at the medical history, by looking at how many procedures you've had and the diseases that it's attacking and what your, what your outcome is. So I think that's the, the new normal for medical facilities is that we need to understand the patient better. And, and so that's what I'm going to try to do, Casper, is put my technical cap on and help us, you know, because we do, and, you know, they have the um, uh, little monitors for diabetic patients. Well, we have developed a a silicon bracelet that will detect the pH level of blood. It will detect your oxygen, your heart rate, and it'll link to a app on your smartphone and we can monitor you remotely. So those are things that I think will be a benefit for people in the future.
1: No, it's amazing what you can do now with technology and looking into the past, right? Not trying to reinvent it and say, don't look to the ancient wisdom of others and all the discoveries going back to time and utilizing things we know in nature are very curative. True. We talked about this too, about you use UV light now for water purification, to disinfect water. Some of the best places we talked about that uh, you know the show with Zac Efron and and Darren Olean yeah, talking about water so. yeah, right yeah. in France and and you saw those big UV ones in France as they yes because the it's such a thing. natural way to cleanse water yes. from any microbial um uh, you know things that may be in it and we know now that one of the biggest things I saw sell out in the last year was those UV wands. That the hand wands, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. We used them at the center, and we were trying to get more, and you go to – they were sold out. Yes. They were, because people realize UV light is very effective. Yes. Incredibly, much more than even the spraying of things. You could just go over it, and is incredibly effective at killing microbes. It is. Viruses, bacteria.
0: And mold, quickly, and quickly, effective. too. Yeah. It's not like the hydrogen peroxide. Uh, yep. Um, you know, where it takes hours.
1: And we brought we also brought up air purification. Some of the best ones are all based on UV light. Even if you look at things like molecule and new technology, they're based on UV light in a sense. So tell us, we know what this does to all these other elements, but what is it doing to blood? Because some people may say, hey, that seems like it may damage the blood cells. It may do something negative. Is it safe to expose something that usually isn't exposed in our body? to these things so
0: yeah it's a very, very good question uh, so what we found is that the only thing in the procedure that we're doing that could harm the blood is being rough uh, the blood cell is uh sort of like a thin layer of skin it's a it's a tube let's suggest an inner tube and that thin layer of skin is laying over top of that inner tube the minute you break that skin the, the, the cell is dead So we have to be very careful on the blood. And that was something that was found in the 40s when the knot theory was coming around. His initial device had it dropping a foot. The blood was dropping a foot and hitting, and they weren't getting the same type of results because the dead blood cells, there were too many, and you could not oxygenate those or irradiate those to get it back in the body. Because if it's dead, it's not gonna carry the irradiation as good ones are. and so. Our procedure has, over the hundred years, has never damaged anything. It has never harmed anybody. The only thing it will do uh, is that it might make you feel like you have the flu Um, for a few minutes or so. You might get cold chills. And uh, you might get very tired. You know, if you do this procedure as it's working internally, uh, you'll notice that it's making you feel tired. Some patients feel like they're going to run around the block. And it's different. Uh, It just depends on what it's working on internally. So, as it's cleansing your organs, your vital organs, it's also clarifying your brain. You figure now blood hits every part of your body. So, if we're radiating that blood, it's actually going down to the RNA and DNA level, Casper. And that's what happens. So, we've also have studies, and this is going to be very interesting, that I've already seen positive results on this, but I'm going to talk about the telomere for a minute. So the telomere is a DNA strand that when you're born, you have 18 strands on it. As you age, it decrements. When you die, if you die abnormal, between four and six are left of this DNA strand. What we've found is that by irradiating the blood and providing additional oxygen and autoimmune system activation, that the telomere stops the decrementation and in some cases has increased the telomere DNA strand. So to give you an example, we had a a hockey player out of Michigan. He was in his early 40s. He did our procedure once a month for about a year and a half. And the unfortunate thing is we didn't get a baseline uh, test on his telomere. But being 42 years old and the telomere test coming back at 19 and a half tells us that we probably did work some. So we've got three uh, patients under the protocol right now, 50, 60, and a 70-year-old. And so I'm uh, weighing that, and we're going to have the results in August and September and October of this year. But I'm sure it'll prove that the telomere will have either stopped decrementing or had increased. So we did get the baselines on them. Unfortunately, the 60-year-old showed that she was 72. The 70-year-old showed that she was 55, you know, so... It's not all the same. It depends on your living, like we were talking about before. You know, if you're a good, very healthy person and you don't, you know, you go around and do a mile a day, stay healthy, you eat healthy, your telomere will probably show that you're, your age or maybe a few years younger. If you're a person that's abused, you drink a lot of alcohol or wine, not saying that that's bad, but it does take an effect on the body and your brain and the kidney and liver. And so those are the folks that we see that the telomere it's actually going to be five to 10 years show that your internal organs have taken an abuse on your living. And so that's, that's what we've seen. It's very interesting on the telomere side.
1: That's incredibly interesting. You talk about telomeres. That's where everyone's pointing to for anti-aging, right? Trying to live longer. It's all about your telomeres. Yes. It's all about looking at that and your mitochondrial function related to that. And that's all where aging takes place and DNA repair and destruction. So it's really, you could say in many ways that the, the UVBI, ultraviolet blood, is an anti-aging therapy in many
0: ways. Well, we'd like to say that, but I, <laughs> being an engineer, I'd like to have the proof of it. Of course. And and when we get when we get that then we'll be glad to expose it and market it appropriately
1: now john let me play devil's advocate for a second because i have done uvb treatments before many times and you know, as a a skeptic, you could say, wait a second, you're only pulling so much blood. You're not pulling all of the blood in and out. So you're only exposing a certain amount of CCs, depending on what you do, auto, um, uh, logus blood, major, minor, right? You can expose 50 CCs, a few hundred CCs, but not all of the blood ever is going to be exposed. So how are you getting a systemic reaction if only a small portion, let's say, of the blood is actually exposed to UV light and has that reactive uh, you know, effect within it?
0: That's a very good question, Casper. And based on off of the studies that we've done, I did notice that a lot of the manufacturers of the uh, UVBI devices are only pulling 60 cc's of blood. Uh, they're pretty standard. Uh, what if the patient weighs 50 pounds? What if the patient weighs 200 pounds? It's still 60 cc's of blood. From the scientific studies that we've done, your body weight is the amount of blood that you're, you're carrying. It determines that from your body weight, not the size or whatever, but if you're a 300 pound person, we pull uh, 1.5 cc's of blood per pound of body weight, but we have a maximum amount. 250 cc's is the maximum amount because of the Herzheimer. So we don't want to harm the person, and over 250 cc's could become a little detrimental, excretion through the liver and kidney. So those are protocols for that. We found that that's the most effective. It's one-fifth, really, if you say 1.5 cc's of blood per pound of body weight. It's one-fifth of the blood that's coming out. And going back to your question, it's a chain reaction. When the irradiated blood gets into the bloodstream, every blood uh, cell that it hits, it activates. And that's how the autoimmune system gets kicked in it realizes, hey, we've got something here that we haven't had before, oxygen. (laughs) Radiated blood pretty much is oxygen, and uh, that's very effective. Um, There's a lot of procedures that uh, are out there that are very effective, and I'm not down talking. The ozone therapy, as a matter of fact, is very good, but it's a different approach. You're injecting O3 into you, and that's going to go through, and that Part is uh, if you could think about a train, that train on the track is the O3, and as it goes on along the track, it's knocking everything off the track, and that's good. But the UVI works differently, uh, it's a chain reaction, it hits all of your blood and it activates your whole body. So, once you're finished, we suggest that the patient sits there for five to ten minutes and let the blood flow start taking process. Mm-hmm. We also recommend that the patient, once they leave, that if they have the energy, some of them feel a little tired because I know I slept for 18 hours after my first procedure. Uh, It was really working on me. (laughs) Some patients feel like they have more energy and they're going to run out and run around the ball field. We suggest (laughs) that if you can, to get out under the sunlight it doesn't have to be sunny. It could be cloudy day. You're still going to get the ultraviolet in through your skin and it's going to assist the UVI to start flushing out. And so that's, those are very interesting facts that we've, we've realized and scientifically have proven.
1: Yeah that's really interesting even the going outside part listen everyone knows that being outside now we have such a, a you know a focus on vitamin D and other things but the sunlight is so essential and of course it contains that UV light we unfortunately have demonized UV light yeah. and like to <laughs> yes. slather on chemicals again going away from nature to slather on chemicals to stop the you know what is normally a very positive thing to get that UV light from the sun to come in and cause vitamin D to cause these other basic oxidative uh, repairing functions in the body. So it's really interesting that that's the case. I have a
0: theory, right or wrong, I'll I'll tell you my theory. I think that within the past two centuries that our atmosphere is changing. And by us not getting what we were supposed to from the inception, that by us shooting satellites into space and rockets and opening holes in the atmosphere, that that has changed the ultraviolet penetration to the earth. And by doing that, that's where a lot of these newly formed diseases are coming from. Because before, the UV light was penetrating to the point where it was very effective. It was killing these bacterial, we can't see and microbial impurities that get into our body. And a lot of these new diseases are coming from somewhere. I believe that might be the cause of it. So by us doing the irradiation, it's providing your body what it's missed from day one because of the atmosphere. It's not any of our faults. It's just the evolution. And I believe, I, do, I truly believe that uh, this is a good life-saving procedure that's giving you back what you hadn't had, uh, whether you eat healthy or not, and whether you smoke or not. Uh, You know, this is something I think that your body's needing because it's been lacking because of our atmospheric uh, penetration, of the UV lights. Personally, that's just the insight.
1: It's a really interesting thought process there and philosophy on everything, because of course, we're going through a lot of changes. The modernization of where we are is taking us away from nature and nature then also adjusts a little bit and how we react to it maybe is not as natural and therefore we have more diseases and we're in an environment maybe isn't the most ideal for the human body. Now, you know, let's talk about the PL 2020, what you did, because you took a device that's been around for so long and made that and improved on it and got it there. And now one of the really cool things that I became so interested in was the fact that you used a flat crystal cuvette. You didn't use plastic, you didn't use rounds. Can you go into why you did that? Because it seems... Logical. When I heard it, I go, "Oh, that makes sense," but no one ever did it before.
0: Yeah, I, I don't understand it either. Um, so I go back to my studies and I noticed that the knot had a flat-designed cuvette, and that he was getting the maximum results from it. When I looked at from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, they kind of manufactured the device to maximize the profits off of it. And what I mean by that is, you can go in order tubular cuvettes or tubular crystal, and it's a couple of dollars. So it's very simple. Attach your lines to the tubular cuvette. When I started researching that scientifically, it didn't take a lot. When light hits a tube, what happens? Well, it bends. So the penetration to the blood that's flowing through this tube is getting approximately 13%. And we've done scientific studies out of Louisiana on this. It's getting 13% of the light. Now, the UVB light, we didn't find any at this point. We haven't found any medical benefit to the UVB light of the blood. Now, externally, it has benefits to the skin. The UVA and the UVC, the germicidal and the bacterial lights, had the best effect. So if you run it through a tubular crystal cuvette, you're going to get 13% of what that light should be maximizing at. So I designed, and it took me a, a while to design this cuvette, and the reason for that is the flow. The blood flow has to go at a certain rate, and we uh, normally have it at a drop per second, which means that the time that your blood's hitting the beginning part of the the uh, flat cuvette and penetrating through our chamber, which is which is patented, and coming at the other end, has to get the maximum level of irradiation that's allowable to that blood. And so we did a ton of testing, and we came up with the solution that was generic for everybody. It's going to have the same effect and the flow through the irradiation chamber is going to be maximized. With the tubular cuvette, the other thing that I've noticed is that these are the folks that were saying you only need to do 60 cc's of blood. So, you know, I did do that. I found that it helped me for a day or two. It didn't alleviate any of skin conditions or headaches or make my eyesight better or whatsoever. But by utilizing the uh, resources that we had in calibrated the lights, so the UVA lights calibrated at a certain nanometer, the UVCs calibrated at a certain nanometer, it's placed at a distance that will not uh, harden or hurt the blood through the crystal cuvette that we've designed. And the flow rate is very important. Um, and so that's what we've done. We've it took us a while to design and scientifically prove my theory, and we hit the nail on the head with it, I, I do believe, Casper. So this will be our flagship for the next device, which will hopefully tie us to the cloud and be automated, automatically managed remotely.
1: Are there benefits to the use of crystals, aside from the negative of plastic that may be there?
0: Yes, So the crystal is the only outside of um, fused silica. So in our device, the bottom plate, and I noticed the previous devices had issues of spillage. Let's assume that the tube wasn't on the crystal tube properly and you got a leak. Well, it went right down into the chamber, which could have blown the whole device out and maybe electrocuted somebody. In our device, we used a, a filament called fused silica. It's actually a gas that's hardened, and it does not bend UVC or UVA light at all. It's like it's not even there. If you take a piece of glass, now glass, um, you can buy in different formulas, but the best formula of glass, the cleanest formula of glass that we can get, bent and almost eliminated, filtered UVC light almost 90%. So glass you can't use. And you're probably well aware of that. Um, You know, uh, Anderson Windows or the window company sell you glass and they say, we'll sell you this tinted. You can't see it. But what it's doing is it's stopping the UV light from coming through that piece of glass. So the minerals and materials that we used were very scientifically proven to maximize what we needed to do. And we needed to irradiate that blood and not burn it because UVC light could do that. At 254 nanometers, which is the maximum potential of the UVC light, if you had it too close, if the flow was too slow, and if you even put it through the tubular, it will start hardening and coagulating. So that's how we derived of the flat crystal cuvette.
1: There's a lot of precision that goes into this, right? I mean, you're talking about different wavelengths by the nanometer could have such a difference. The flow could have such a difference. Even the amount you pull out, you know, I understand you can coagulate if you do it too slow or you don't have an antico. So there are a lot of things that need to go into this. But, of course, this has been studied for a long time and is quite safe where it is right now, correct? It has. So tell me, let's go into the data now because you're, you're more of an engineer. You understand that. What have you been seeing since you've gotten this out in your clinic, other clinics? What is it doing? What types of uh, you know, conditions are you seeing improvement in? So
0: my objective was to identify our top 10. And we have around 80 diseases that we've clarified in our medical database that it has an effect on. So I've taken that data, Casper, and I've taken each disease and I've added five stages to that disease. So let's assume that somebody has Lyme. Uh, And that was our first. Jeff out in uh, Beloit, Wisconsin, out of his clinic, uh, his wife had chronic Lyme disease. He goes, John, my wife will be the guinea pig. Let's do it. So on Lyme disease, she did six procedures, and we did it to our frequency that we had proven. So the normal procedure uh, and frequency of the procedure is two the first week and two the second week. You know, there's a reason for that. Ultraviolet blood radiation works from day one as you get it. It starts peaking around day three and goes for 10 days. So, what we've identified is that if you front load it to try to flush out the underlying diseases, depending on what it is, if it's HIV/AIDS, it's going to be a different frequency. If it's uh, mononucleosis, it's going to be different. If it's a tumor or uh, blood, you know, skin conditions. So, we have identified the best frequency for that particular disease. Now, what we're hoping to do when we get the next device onto the cloud is that every person's different. Every person eats different, lives different environments, breathes different, has different physical activities, is that we're gonna fine-tune this for each particular patient. Unfortunately, right now we have a generic set of guidelines and we know that works. And so by front-loading that, I've noticed that it doesn't have to be male or female. Your hair becomes a lot more fluent and airy, Uh, your eyes become wider, you breathe better, Uh, you have more energy. These are all standard, almost 100% from data that we've seen, Casper, is that even if you're not sick and you come in, for the first three days, you might not feel it. But the fourth, fifth, or sixth day, you might feel a little energy. Some people, if you're attuned to your body. Now, the reason I say that is it's so gradual, And because people, you look in the mirror every morning. So if you're gradually changing, you're not going to notice the change. But on my patients that I see once a month, I see a tremendous difference in them. And they notice it. When you tell them, did you see the whites of your eyes? Did you see your hair? And the women actually let me know about it. It also gives a very positive attitude to people. I have patients in their 60s and 70s that come in and they I hate to say this, but they would rather be six feet under because they feel so bad. They don't want to wake up in the morning. My gosh, after the third procedure, these people are coming in and looking forward to living life again. They're looking forward. They're actually getting up and cleaning their house. They're getting up and finding things. That, for decades, they've been looking for this box in the closet and haven't been able to find it. So what I see that that is generally on a, on a person's quality of life, you want energy. You want to be able to think clearly. You want to be able to see as good as you can. You want to be able to discuss things with your kids or your parents or your, your better half. And you want to be able to think clearly in, in order to do that. And what I've seen from ultraviolet blood irradiation, it's actually doing that.
1: We've definitely noted it also. I mean, regular UBI, UVB therapy was Pretty effective, yes. you know. This isn't to knock it or say that it wasn't working and needed something to work.
0: No, I don't you've just enhanced
1: that. it. You've really taking it to the 21st century and beyond. You could say.
0: And that, thank you. And that's what I was trying to do with this. I believe I have. Thank you, Casper.
1: No, no, bravo on that. Let me ask you, as as a visionary, are you looking elsewhere in the medical field, saying, "Hey, I could do a lot there too"? I are you seeing any am. other devices, therapies that kind of pique your interest?
0: Yes. Uh, ozone generators have piqued my interest. Okay. Uh, the materials that they're utilizing are quite generic. And we've, uh, we have in our R&D right now, one that we're testing. It's, uh, the internals are a little expensive because it's 14 karat gold, but it produces such a tremendous of concentration of O3 that I'm a little, I, I needed to get our testers in here because I don't want to test it on a live person yet. We need to run it through our evaluation and determine that this is, I believe it's going to be the next generation of O3.
1: I got to connect you with Mika Lowe from Simply O3. He's a good guy. He was on here before and he's, you know, everything ozone. But I agree. Listen, there are certain areas that there is definitely always room for improvement. It's not just one step. You know, what you're doing with the PL 2020 is great. I'm sure in a few years you even have the new PL 3000. It's going to be the 4000, the 10,000 soon. Because (laughs) once you start and really put attention, I don't think anyone's done that to these types of therapies. Ozone is ozone, hydro peroxide is hydrogen peroxide. This is that, right? Yeah. Even things like hyperbaric chamber, I'm seeing people out of Europe saying you could tweak it to be normabaric where you could stay in for longer without any negative side effects and it's actually better. Yeah. You know, so people are now paying attention and saying, how can we apply technology even more so, learn more about it and then really get the efficacy up there. Yes.
0: And the other things that we're looking at is the LED lights. Okay, so when I did the evaluation for our particular lights, the UV lights that we're using, unfortunately we had to go with the fluorescence. The LEDs have not had enough tests, but I'm, I'll mention something here. About four years ago, a friend of mine called me out of Colorado and asked me to come up and do some scientific evaluation on their medicinal marijuana plants. And they have an LED calibration that can calibrate the medicinal marijuana to generate the thc that will attack ptsd or you can adjust it to attack pain in your knee or pain in your back i was very intrigued by this and that's where i started focusing in on the calibration of the lights to our UV devices well if it's doing it to the plant why can't we do it to the human i hate to hate to put it in that manner but if we can calibrate the lights to focus on efficiencies and maximize the results to that, and that's what we've done. So when we look at the fluorescence versus the LEDs, the LEDs are great because they'll last 50,000 hours versus our lights will last eight to 10,000 hours. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the efficacy. So the reason I didn't put the LEDs originally is Yeah, it would have uh, been a little bit more and less maintenance, but will it have the same effect? And we didn't have the time to test that as of yet, Casper. So what I'm looking at is the LEDs. Can we take this LED light and fine tune it to a needle point and focus it in on that person? I know there's other devices out there that are similar. They have fiber optics with UV lights going through it. They inject into your uh, vein. And as the blood's flowing, it's, it's supposedly doing that. Now, they're getting about 2% of what we're getting, but it's getting something. So my theory on the LEDs is that we can manufacture an LED pinpoint size, needle head size, and take that and focus that in on, let's say, particular tumors or inflammation areas, and, and insert that, and within seconds, you should see relief. So we're working on that. And so there's a lot of different things on the LEDs. Can we put the LEDs under our PL series and have effectiveness? Well, we're testing that as well. I have an engineer here out of Raleigh that is the, he's nationally known for uh, bacterial. And he's been working with LED lights. And he has it to where he can focus it on a thousandth of a centimeter. So he can actually take this light and point it. And if you had a bad cell, let's say, he can destroy it. And so that was the theory that I took and said, well, if you can do that, then why can't we utilize this LED light to focus in on, let's say, bad tumor cells or inflammation, what's causing the inflammation, maybe diabetics, maybe, I don't know. Uh, But we are working on a lot of different things here that hopefully will become some automation in the medical facility soon.
1: Oh that would be great because you know being in the medical system around it my whole life I can't really say I was in it but I was so close to oh, it Oh you it, your dad
0: <laughs> you yeah. couldn't
1: avoid it No 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 some of my some of my best friends as 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 a kid traveling everywhere were doctors grown doctors so yeah I've been around this system a long time and and being also an outsider going into business being an entrepreneur I could say it needs a little shaking up it needs a little disruption and it needs that infusion of thinking differently. People that are visionary like yourself to say, hey, this is a great system, but we could do so much more even with it.
0: Yes. That's my intent is to try to, yeah, try to modernize it. And, and like I said, a lot of the clinics didn't want to use something that was working quite well. And the reason was the maintenance and the setup and the procedure itself. So if you take that and, you know, we have a minor training to make sure that the provider understands that it has to follow the procedure. If it doesn't, it's not going to work the same. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, the next, the PL 3000, we'll have that controls built in, you know, it'll make it a lot easier. It'll be available. So actually uh, medical hospitals should be able to use this. One of my friends and a couple of guys are on our board. Uh, one's a, um, He was a pulmonologist and and then he became a cardiologist and then went to Duke and got his MBA. And I said, Tom, when are you going to stop? He goes, I'm retiring. So after all of this, he's retiring. He's on our board. But when I showed him this device three and a half years ago, he said, John, this needs to be in every hospital in the world. If you come in, uh, what's the main thing that you look at in hospitals? And that's um, MRSA and sepsis and bacteria infections. This gets rid of it. And so this should be a standard routine, but telling the medical world that, Casper, of course, you know, it's not bringing enough money in. Yeah. So it's unfortunate.
1: You know, I, I want to ask you, and I'm not going to make any correlation of UVB and COVID or anything there, but I want to ask you this from the pandemic. Do you think due to the pandemic that we are going to see a sudden maybe resurgence of looking back at things that may be able to help us for the next one? For the, because this is not, let's be honest, this is not the only pandemic we'll ever have to face. This is not the only health risk we are. We're still an incredibly sick nation and world. 50% or more of Americans are still, even when all this is gone, pandemic, are going to be chronically ill, many with infectious diseases that they can't kick. So let's not say that we're going to suddenly be all healthy once this pandemic's over. No, we may be worse off actually because we've been indoors.
0: I think we will be
1: actually. It's funny you
0: mention that. Part of our studies is we're uh, looking with a uh, West Coast Cancer Center to review the post effects of, of COVID because, you know, everybody says, well, I've had COVID and I'm cleansed, but the dilemma with COVID is that it affects, it coagulates the blood inside your body and which in turn eliminates the functionality of those particular organs, your liver, your kidney, your lungs, your brain, for instance. And what we've noticed is that post COVID patients don't get, uh, and the primary thing is smell and taste. So you don't get your smell and taste back. Well, somebody, something affected that, COVID did. Can we eliminate that? I'm thinking that the or blood irradiation, and we're going to start trials uh, beginning of next year to determine what we can do to help the post-COVID patients with their living and health and quality of living. And I think we should be able to, but uh, hypothetically, it should help, but we don't know until we see the results.
1: Super interesting, right? Because there's so many applications of this. And to help people with something that is quite simple, you've done the techno, there's nothing, you know, really radical that you have to do, has so few side effects, it just makes sense. Why wouldn't you? This is where I do have some problem with the medical establishment. If you're out of solutions, don't say, oh, well, let's wait for one, you know, to that could be forever. We don't know sometimes, and especially when it comes to chronic conditions, We've been battling so many for so long, and they're incurable. Why not keep trying things from the past, from the present, from the future even? That's exactly
0: right, and that's what we're doing. You, you're doing it as well. We're doing it here in and, and the other clinics. We're, we're, I've reached out, and I've got a campaign that will be show, infectious blood-borne disease doctors. Um, because, and I've had doctors um, send a lot of the patients to us here in our clinic in Raleigh, from word of mouth, uh, I've sent out to the, to the medical world here in the Raleigh area. And number one, I wasn't going to open here in Raleigh for a number of reasons. It's the 37th state of utilization of uh, homeopathic and alternative medicines. We were going to open up in Arizona originally, but you know things led on other things. And I, I live here in Raleigh, so I felt it best to do it here. But we are seeing a tremendous amount of word of mouth coming from the medical world. So I've had pain management doctors send me several patients. I've had infectious bloodborne doctors send me some, some patients. So these are the doctors that care. And I did notice there's a big difference in the ones that just are there and we're numbers to them and the ones that are really caring. So, uh, you know, we're trying to reach out. And, and, and our objective, obviously, has to try to help people, try to get them healthy, try to get them. I mean, because this procedure is simple. It takes some time, but it very, it's a very simple procedure. It won't harm you. The worst thing it's going to do is make you feel better and alleviate some things that some of our patients didn't even realize they had until we got rid of it. I'll give you an example. I had a uh, patient come in. He's in his 60s, high blood pressure. So we're very good with blood pressure, by the way. Very good. And uh, and the reason for that is as the radiated blood is going through your veins and eventually hit your arteries, it's cleansing it. It's oxygenating it. It's making it more flexible so those arteries and veins can collapse and depend according to your usage of the heart pump and we've seen it and he he's an engineer as well so he actually did a nice granular chart of when he came in and you could see the decrementation of his blood pressure going down and down and down but what i noticed is that it got rid of a cyst on his lung and he goes it was five centimeters he goes john i went back doctor asked me what i did because it wasn't there anymore I said, well, yes, we can get rid of cysts, and we can get rid of tumors, and inflammation, and thank God that it helps. So these are things that we've noticed: is that the patients coming in, and I try uh, to be personally involved with them as they introduce themselves, and I introduce the procedure to them, and what we're doing here. We call us a pilot clinic, and I have an eighteen-page questionnaire that we get a ton of answers. Uh, A lot of the doctors don't care about what they eat and how they live and what time they get up. We do. Uh, We care about that because that's going to be eventually database. And we're going to find out some things uh, down the road, do the analysis, and hopefully we'll be able to help 100% of the people, which some of the scientists that are on our board have a feeling that we're going to be able to with the calibration based off of what you guys, you know, the NAD. uh, That's a very interesting
1: thing. I mean, listen, I can attest, I was the guinea pig for the PL 2020 when it first came in. (laughs) Well, I heard about that. (laughs) And I ran personally a HeartQuest HRV assessment afterwards. And listen, autonomic nervous system was very balanced at that point. You saw improved mitochondrial function. I wasn't sick, so it's not a huge jump, but it was nuanced improvement that is many things don't do at all. I've done lots of therapies where you just go in and it was about the same. And, you know, you saw this one a few days, 24, 36 hours after, and you saw that improvement right there in a HRV assessment. So, you know, I I can say that, and we've definitely seen patients come in and respond very well above what we were seeing with a normal UVB, UBI treatment. So congrats on that. You really uh, created something great here. Well,
0: thank you. And I, I thank you for being a partner with us. So we couldn't do it without you guys, you know?
1: No, this is the amazing part. I always say that there are so many people out there trying to help and then doing so much to help the doctors as well and that's that's really where we kind of base our foundation on how can we find these people and apply it to help it's helping people help people right yes that's Let's really what it is there casper what's the best way to do that yeah well i think it is the word of mouth things like these and that's where it leads where can people learn more about this you know where can people learn about ASEPI in the clinic tell us
0: yes well we have a website uh it's ascepimed.com you're more than welcome to go there we're uh uh, we can answer any questions you have. We have the general procedural write-up of what to expect, uh, what to expect pre and post the procedure. Uh, we have some testimonials that will be going up there here soon. Uh, we'll be revamping the website to make it a little bit more integrated. Uh, we have forms for new patients that want to come in. They could they could get on the PDF and fill out the 18-page questionnaire. So when you come in, you can we can get right to it. We've got our doctors that are there. Some of them are are in there and explains uh, what they're doing. We're also looking at FDA approvals and fast track through this pandemic has assisted us to fast track some of the things. Like I said, the post-COVID, we're hoping to get a grant from that. And there's a lot of positive things, I hate to say it, from this pandemic that has afforded us to become a little bit more widespread into the medical world. Uh, We had a three-year plan, and I think we'll do it in a year and a half because of the pandemic. So these are things that are very positive.
1: I've always said there are silver linings to this. Everyone is saying it's a a terrible year. It's terrible. You know, I I think that, yes, strange, yes. (laughs) You know, but it's what you make of it. There are silver linings to this. I'm hoping that that is one of them, that new technology, new options are presented to take control of your health, even if you're in a sick place, or at least put you in a better state of health. Because we all know the better state of health, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's something down the line, an accident, anything, you're in a better position to handle that. And you should come out of that healthy. So why not? So even for the preventive reasons, something like UVB, UBI could be great. But if you are in a compromised position already, this can absolutely be helpful.
0: Absolutely. One of the couple of other things I'll mention is some of our patients have had dental procedures done in between. We had one patient that did plastic surgery. So she was going to get uh, her breast and her face. Um, She was in her 60s and she was under our protocol. But lo and behold, her plastic surgeon called me three days after she had her surgery when she did her follow-up and said, you know, I've never seen a person heal this fast. Casper within 10 days. The stitches were out. You couldn't even tell she was cut. Same thing with dentistry. We had a patient that was going to go. He had a problem with a molar. So we had to go get an operation to get the molar taken out. He healed. So the dentist wanted him back within three days to take the stitches out. When he went back there, he goes, holy moly, I'm not going to have to do a second procedure. You've healed already. And he goes, I've never seen this. So the patient told him what we were doing. I got a call from the dentist. And so these guys are now uh, looking at us as an alternative method or option for patients that are going to want to heal quickly, especially on the plastic surgery side. Dr. High here in Raleigh is very popular. And I've seen his head nurse and his alternative nurse. They've came in here and they're now our patients. So and they saw what, what it did to their patient and they were interested. So they came in. And that's how I think uh, the word of mouth is getting out. We did some marketing analysis and said, well. Every one patient within three months should bring you six patients. Now, whether they become patients or whether they become curiosity, uh, curious onto what we're doing, and I've seen that. I have seen that word of mouth pick up. We've had some people from Tennessee call us, from Virginia call us, and you know it could be a long day's trip, you know, five hours from Tennessee, five hours from DC. We do have patients that do drive a bit, and I did notice while I was traveling nationally, looking at these different alternative options and devices that we had people flying from Canada down to Florida to do UVI. It's amazing. I mean, you're right there in New York. I'm sure you probably get some Canadian patients.
1: Oh yeah. No, it's, it's an international appeal. Listen, if you could help people who have been struggling for years and don't find many options as to what will help them, you track people from all over the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
1: you know, when you have this type of technology, like the PL 2020 and so many other things that can help people people will show up right and word of mouth is that's all we you know go off of right. there's no need to advertise when patients get better i feel like advertising is something when you can't help them you when you can then help you them. need to get new ones because no <laughs> yeah. one's talking about how <laughs> they were like, helped
0: it's like the uh, the lawyer following the bus for accident victims exactly <laughs> yep, yep. No, i don't want to sell ourselves. snake oil and that that's also that i noticed and that that was a deterrent a little bit at the beginning was the fact that we did have a lot of medical manufacturers that were had anecdotal data, they weren't providing the efficacy and the results that I expected. And so, I just it took us a year and a half actually, Casper, to go through the data that I had that was written in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, up to, up to current. It took me a year and a half to have an anal- analyst go through it and determine what was, what was true and what was just anecdotal. So we only took the true data, the medical, prove, medically proven data. And that's when I say we've identified 80 diseases that were very effective on. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit, if you don't mind. So out of our data mining, we took, let's say, Lyme disease. And out of the Lyme disease patients, how many were 100 percent? How many were 80 percent? How many were 60 percent? So out of that, we had only 20 percent that were between 0 and 25% effective. Then it became as we went up the scale it became stronger and stronger. So that's how I determined what of the diseases that we're going to go after eventually for the FDA. And this will probably be after post covid things because that's a different scenario. But we were very effective on Lyme fibromyalgia patients, I, you know, and, and we've had a lot of fibromyalgia patients that were, you know, the doctor told them they had Lyme. Uh, you know, so a lot of the tests aren't even that accurate anymore. So we get patients in and we find that, you know, they've been diagnosed with one disease, but when we send them back to our doctors, they determine it wasn't that disease, it's something else. And so that's been a little critical as well. How do we determine what disease we're attacking? So the Lyme and the fibromyalgia, and then we have the osteoarthritis. We have allergies. By the way, here in North Carolina, it's probably the top, State in the the United States that's the highest allergy. I've never had allergies in my life. And when I moved here, my eyes are watering, my nose is running when I get up, and it It took several months. Uh, Gee, what's going on here? Um, Well, the doctor said, Well, we can give you a a shot monthly. That's okay. I'll take care of it. So I go back and do my procedure, and I do uh, a monthly procedure. I don't have any allergic situations. But we have had some patients that were so allergic to dust or grass. And so they couldn't even go to a hotel because when they go into the hotel room, they haven't cleaned it or the cleaning solutions that they've used there. And so this one gal, she's in her 40s. She travels a lot. She works for IBM. And uh, she came in and was complaining about everything, everything. She couldn't eat this. She couldn't go to hotels. hotel. She had to do this. And within, I think it was a month and a half later, she had to go to Germany. And she was afraid. I said, well, just play it by ear and give me a call. If Give me, as soon as you get back, we'll get you under procedure. She called me from there, and she was the only one that didn't get sick the whole time in Germany. Her and the other six people, the other five people were sick. They couldn't eat the food. They couldn't drink the water. She was living life and, and laughing at them. These are things that I've, I've seen physically and in my patients' results that really make me happy that we can do this and be helpful to people.
1: That's incredible what happens when you apply the right things to the body and give it what it needs. You're not forcing anything. You're not trying to basically, um, uh, you know, alter the biology. You're just trying to get it to a homeostasis and back into balance. And that's exactly what your system and so many natural and holistic systems do. So really, really cool. I'm really hoping that more doctors have this and dentists as well. I was speaking to biological dentists that were talking about ozone and UVB, UBI, so it'd be great to see that even more so. It for, would, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that happens and, and wishing you all the best, John. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing this knowledge, and keep pushing forward being a visionary and disruptor.
0: <laughs> it's a pleasure having you, and I, I do appreciate you all being on our, on our uh, team. It's
1: it really helpful. World-renowned personal development author Shakti Guan once said, the more light you allow within you, the brighter the world you live in will be. What if we took this as a literal translation to mean if you will light in you as a therapy to heal you, that through that healing you'll live a more abundant life? More things to ponder as we close out the year. Wishing everyone a very happy and healthy holiday season and new year. I can't wait to dive into more of these stories next year and keep transforming our understanding of medicine, healing, wellness, and so many other things. Till then, keep writing your own healing story.